is it important for you to be out here today? We need a voice against racism. We need many voices against racism and against brutality. We need to stand up and say the Black Lives Matter. Well, thank you, Senator. Is that Mitt Romney? What? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, uh, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Up in Grand Rapids on WPRR. Down in New Orleans, currently battling a uh, tropical storm on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico, currently battling COVID on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And battling everything in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow... Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. My uh, quick thanks to Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com for filling in for Desi and me on Friday. We are back and live here today at our KPFK studios in beautiful North Hollywood. And as time allows, I would like to open up the phones a little bit later to, to, uh, to folks that marched over the weekend in the Huge turnouts to protest the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, police abuse nationwide and even worldwide as the Black Lives Matter protests were seen in huge numbers across the planet on Saturday and Sunday, not just across the U.S. Um, And as my uh, guest joining me momentarily will explain, um, perhaps we have turned a corner. Emphasis on perhaps uh, and an unexpected but encouraging corner, really, in recent days as Donald Trump's own military has begun to turn against him. So uh, in a bit, I would love to hear if you marched and if you did, why did you march? And did you see or learn anything at those marches that you might not have expected? Our number will be 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK if you'd like to queue up early. Uh, Very quickly, just a note that Georgia and West Virginia are holding their presidential primaries on Tuesday. So if you live in one of those states but have yet to vote... What are you waiting for? Uh, in Georgia, the state's new Republican secretary of state sent out absentee ballot applications to all active 
registered voters. Now, whatever active actually means in Georgia may be up to this terrible secretary of state they now have, Brad Raffensperger, uh, which means that for whatever reason, we saw huge lines to vote over the weekend in some areas of Georgia. Don't know if they were folks who did not get their absentee ballots in the mail or who did not send back their applications for same. But we saw huge lines, particularly in and near Atlanta, where uh, lines to vote stretched for blocks at early voting centers as early uh, as uh, polling places are now consolidated due to the coronavirus and voters at the polls in Georgia are still being forced to vote on Raffensperger's new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that failed terribly in their first tryout last fall. Uh, and, of course, they take much longer to vote on uh, than than handmarked paper ballots do. And, of course, they are disease vectors. So please be careful out there. But at this late hour, if you don't have an absentee ballot to fill in and deliver to your county headquarters in Georgia, that's what you're going to have to put up with in the Peach State. I am sorry. Uh, in what could be, by the way, a disturbing preview of the battleground state of Georgia and elsewhere this November. We saw similar lines, uh, sadly, last week. Uh, all of this... Um, as former Vice President Joe Biden has now over the weekend, as uh, absentee ballots were ta uh, tallied up from last week and where they held uh, presidential primaries in eight states in Washington, D.C. last Tuesday. Well, Biden has officially clinched the necessary number of delegates to win the Democratic Party's presidential nomination this year in advance of the uh, convention, which is set for August in Milwaukee, or maybe in some virtual world, who knows, depending on how the still increasing, still increasing COVID-19 epidemic is looking by the time we get to August. If we get to August, we'll see. Uh, as much as uh, of, the, of the rest of the world is seeing their infections and deaths decline, the U.S. has largely plateaued as the world's hottest hotspot with uh, cases increasing in much of the country, even as they decrease in the New York metropolitan area, which saw the earliest explosion of cases and deaths. Health officials are looking with some concern over the next several weeks as to whether we will see yet another bump in the curve following the massive protests around the country over the past uh, two weeks following the killing of George Floyd. That, along with states and cities opening back up for business too early, could cause a spike in the coming days in hospitalizations, as we are seeing right now in Desi's old home state of Texas. Sorry, Desi. I know. Uh, yeah, it's not looking good there. Uh, hospitalizations have begun to spike uh, in Texas. Not increases, by the way, in infections uh, because of more testing, but actual hospitalizations are shooting straight up in the Lone Star State, uh, where apparently a whole bunch of Fox News-watching denialists have decided it's perfectly safe to go back into the water. What could possibly go wrong? Good my, luck uh, with that, Texas. Yeah. yeah my, my father, he said he had been in Walmart for he only goes once a week, and he said mm -hmm. that he's noticed a distinct change in mask wearing, that a lot of the white people are no longer wearing masks. A lot of the white people, right. he said specifically. Specifically. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, good luck, Texas. Good luck to all of us. Uh, but as to the huge protests over the past two weeks, now and um, 
and over the weekend, writes uh, Lucian K. Truscott at Salon.com over the weekend. They are almost oh, they almost always begin to write wrongs, he says. Illegitimate wars, decades of discrimination on the grounds of gender or racial or sexual identity. Killings of innocent uh, of innocence by police or gun toting lunatics, oppression by governments wielding unequal laws. The deeply embedded legacy of centuries of racism. They are imperfect, he writes about those protests, but sometimes they are large enough and powerful enough and righteous enough to bend the arc of history. He argues we are in such a moment. Uh, In his optimistically headlined piece, we are witnessing the birth of a movement and the downfall of a president. While the birth of a movement, uh, that part may be clearer to many by now, but the downfall of a president, well, that may be less so. He writes that if we had any doubts that our fellow citizens would turn out to vote in November because they would be afraid of the virus or intimidated by attempts to block their votes, we have our answer, he argues. More people will turn out to vote, not less. And this has Trump very, very worried, he writes, citing evidence that Trump and his allies in the Republican Party right now are frightened by all of this and no doubt by the latest polling, which continue to show Biden rising, Trump falling, and many Republicans in the House and Senate falling along with him. Back to Truscott here. He says uh, he is a, a graduate, by the way, of West Point. He's born into several generations of U.S. military servicemen. He's also a 50-year career journalist who has written about and covered the military and U.S. wars around the world for many decades now. The central focus of his piece is what he describes as, quote, something extraordinary that happened late last week. Trump, he writes, had turned Washington into an armed camp. He has built a three mile, three mile long wall now around the White House and has cowered in a basement bunker as protests grew on the streets outside. But Trump's threat to use active duty soldiers Military soldiers to suppress dissent has encountered profound pushback from an unexpected source, the U.S. military itself. It began, he says, with a statement by Donald Trump's former Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, in reaction to the use of force, including National Guard soldiers to clear peaceful demonstrators from a street near the White House so that Trump could make his now infamous walk to St. John's Church for his Bible-waving photo op. Mattis wrote, when I joined the military some 50 years ago, I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. Never did I dream that troops that taking the same oath would be ordered under any circumstance to violate the constitutional rights of their fellow citizens, much less to provide a bizarre photo op for the elected commander in chief with military leadership standing alongside. Mattis said in The Atlantic, we do not need to militarize our response to protests. We need to unite around a common purpose. And it starts by guaranteeing that all of us are equal before the law. Thank you, James Mattis. His clarion call, writes Truscott, was joined by more senior military figures, beginning with Trump's current Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, who had been the object of criticism for standing next to Trump during his Bible photo op. Esper announced that he was against invoking the Insurrection Act, which would authorize the deployment of active duty military on the streets of America. 
Retired Admiral Mike Mullen then jumped in. He served as chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under George W. Bush and Barack Obama. He was next, writing also in The Atlantic that it sickened him to see security personnel, including members of the National Guard, forcibly and violently clear a path through Lafayette Square to accommodate the president's visit outside of St. John's Church. Adding that we are at an inflection point and the events of the past few weeks have made it impossible for him to remain silent. He charged that Trump has laid bare his disdain for the rights of peaceful protest in this country and risked further politicizing the men and women of our armed forces. That is the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Then retired General John Allen. He weighed in next, writing ominously a warning in Foreign Policy magazine that the slide of the U.S. into illiberalism may well have begun on June 1, 2020, the day that Trump ordered protesters cleared from the park for his photo op. He says, remember that date. It may well signal the beginning of the end of the American experiment. More retired generals then weighed in thereafter, including two former chairs of the Joint Chiefs, Martin Dempsey and Richard Myers. Both were critical of Trump's handling of protests and opposed the use of of the military to suppress dissent. But even more extraordinary than the retired officers who spoke was the letter from the current chair of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark A. Milley, who Donald Trump told the nation's governors Uh, had been put, quote, in charge of the military response to the protests, whatever that means in a nation where the military is statutorily prohibited from being deployed against American citizens, except for under very, very exceptional circumstances, which Mark Milley, the um, I'm sorry, which uh, 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 Mark Esper, the uh, defense secretary, said we are decidedly not in this memo. Uh, from Mark Milley was sent to all of the other chiefs of staff for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, National Guard, commanders of combatant commands. And Milley's letter, writes Truscott, is like unlike anything I have ever seen. He says, and I have been around the military since I was born in an Army field hospital in occupied Japan in 1947. Joining us now to discuss that letter and from uh, uh, General Mark Milley and all of the other statements from the military brass, both past and present, including a retired four-star General Colin Powell on Sunday, is Lucien K. Truscott, the fourth, who since graduating from West Point has been a journalist, novelist, and screenwriter covering stories from Watergate to, to the Stonewall riots to the wars in Lebanon, Iraq, and Afghanistan as part of a career that goes back to the Village Voice in the 1970s. He's also author of five best-selling novels, several of which just happen to be set in the military. Mr. Truscott, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, I'm happy to be there. Glad to have you here. Uh, so clearly, you were uh, first taken aback by the number of top-ranking military officials uh, seemingly speaking up at this perilous moment, but especially so when it came to the memo that uh, came from General Mark Milley uh, to top officials in each branch of the military uh, on the day 
after, while wearing battle fatigues, he accompanied the president in the walk uh, across the street from the White House to the historic church for that photo op. You described that letter as, quote, something that you've never seen done before in your 50 years as a journalist covering the military and as something that, quote, comes close to a call for insurrection. Uh, Really, why was his memo so extraordinary as you see it, Lucian? Well, um, you know, these guys don't go around. You know, he wrote at, at length about how you uh, everybody in the military takes the same oath to support and defend the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And then he and then he reminded everyone that they took that oath. And then he said that the the Constitution is founded on the essential principles that everyone is created equal and gives everyone the right of freedom and speech and an assembly. He's he's talking right there about what's going on right now in the streets. And these guys don't remind each other of their oath. Never did I ever hear when I was in the military and around my father or my grandfather, my two grandfathers that served in the army. I never heard them talking about their oath. Hmm. I mean, it was just a given that you took the oath and a given that you supported the Constitution. And the idea that he would feel like he had to remind everybody in the, mili- in, the, in the active duty military about that oath and what it means and what the Constitution says and what it means is what's remarkable. And that's what I think was um, uh, sort of, you know, a clarion call and a, mm. almost a, a call to insurrection because his, uh, you know, the timing of it and what he's pointing at and what he's talking about um, just seemed unbelievable to me. And when you look at the uh, at this memo, and I actually have it here in my hands, uh, somebody had leaked it, uh, it's, it, it, it's only three uh, paragraphs and then one handwritten paragraph where he says, we are all committed, we all committed our lives to the idea that is America. We will uh, strive... Um, I'm sorry, we will stay true to that uh, to that oath for the American people. I, and there's nothing else in that memo. So it's not like it was a, a, a memo about what's going on, about how the forces are going to be used or not used on the on the streets. This is just a memo to say, hey, don't forget about our Constitution. I mean, that's how yeah, I, I read said, it. We'll, we'll stay true to that oath mm-hmm. for the American people. Not for the President of the United States, for the American people. And he said, we take an oath to the Constitution. Um, you know, he's, he's very specific, mm-hmm. specifically pointing out, and so did, and, and, um, so did some of the other generals, mm-hmm. that, um, uh, especially Mattis, mm-hmm. that um, the, the oath is to support and defend the Constitution, not to support and, and defend any particular president. I mean, they've never done that with any other president, even when there were things going on that were disruptive, uh, you know, and and controversial inside the military. For example, invading Iraq. Mm -hmm. The military was not fond of that idea. They didn't. The military leaders did not want to do it. As you'll recall, the the then chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff was relieved of command because he. Um, uh, went before the Congress and said that they were going to need 500,000 uh, troops mm-hmm. and that it would cost uh, billions of dollars. They, they relieved him and got rid of him for that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he turned out to be right. But 
they didn't, the, even when all that was going on, these generals were not reminding each other or reminding the soldiers that worked for them about their oaths to the Constitution. Um, this is a, uh, this is really a, a unique moment that we're seeing here. It, and I think that that the fact that all of this is being done against the background of the largest protest that this country has seen since the, the Vietnam era is um, is remarkable. Yeah, I was sort of taken aback at the way you were taken aback by all of this uh, in reading your piece and given your history and your years of covering all of this. Uh, that's what you know attracted me to this is that you seem to be stunned by the responses coming out from these generals, and yet, uh, Lucian, uh, you know, while while reporting over the weekend. Um, about uh, his his walk to the church as uh, something that he sort of got wrangled into uh, along with the, the president. He did uh, that night, I guess it would be Monday night, he did start roaming around. He was seen, you know, in his battle fatigues uh, inspecting troops around D.C. So he did go out that night even after that visit to that church uh, in his battle fatigues. Does that somewhat uh, contradict? And by the way, it was before, I guess the night before that he wrote this memo, um, his willingness to go do that, should that, uh, you know, somehow count against him despite this memo? No. He, he um, Esper uh, tried to explain awkwardly, and I think that Millie would have if he was asked about it. Mm-hmm. But they tried to, tried to explain that they thought that they were going out to inspect damage in Lafayette Park and talk to, uh, to the uh, National Guard troops that were on duty they you know that that had been arranged before with the white house mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they got sort of mouse trapped into this showy little strut down the uh, down 16th street to to stand in front of and then they then Billy saw what trump was doing and so did esper standing there waving this bible around they realized that they were they were had been made into props and so I think uh, I would love to be you know, fly on the wall or, or fly in Lafayette Park, uh, following Millie around, uh, listening to what he talked to those troops about. I mean, I think that would be very interesting. Mm. But, um, but you know, it was the next day that he wrote this that, that he wrote that memo, mm-hmm. I and mean, he felt he felt he had to back out of what he had uh, just been caught doing, and that's what that memo does. And I think that the uh, I wrote in the in Salon that that his message in the memo is written in a code that everybody in uniform will understand implicitly. When they start reminding each other of their oath to the Constitution, everybody knows what that means. Everybody knows this is an extraordinary moment. This is an extraordinary reminder. And, and everyone in the military, I can tell you, would understand but that when both of those men said we're taking an oath to the Constitution, not to a president, that what that means. Now there are a lot of people who are concerned, obviously, about what could happen this November. Uh, you know, if if Trump loses outright on November third, or if the election itself is in some sort of dispute, uh, there have been concerns that the military might somehow take his side in the matter. Are we able to take anything from this extraordinary episode, this reaction to Trump's order over the past several days, uh, and apply that to what might happen this November in in the case that there 
is a dispute, either either a real one or a fake one uh, about the outcome of the election? Will they will they take his side? Does this give you any uh, uh, comfort that no, they won't stand by for a, a, a rogue president? I mean, I, I run the line. I don't think we have anything to worry about now. I mean, it, um, they, it's really almost like drawing a line in the sand in, in front of Trump. I think I wrote in Salon. Right in that memo was like lining up howitzers on, on Pennsylvania Avenue and aiming them at the White House. <laughs> I mean, they're not, they're not going to take Trump's side in anything like that. What he said was, they're gonna, what he's basically saying is, we're not going to follow any un-American orders. Um, uh, and and it would be an un-American order, not to say an, Ill, an actually you know illegal order under the UCMJ and federal law mm-hmm. to somehow get involved in overturning an election or keeping a an illegitimate president in the White House. Um, you know, those guys. The the way that that Milley and Esper and the way that the, the rest of these retired generals have recoiled from what Trump did last Monday night is really all the evidence that you need that these guys are, are standing up for the Constitution and not for for President Donald Trump. I mean, I, that's what I think is is so, uh, you know, remarkable. Well, and you... I mean, you I've you... talked privately with officers. Mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of officers when I was in... Um, when I was in Iraq, for example, way back in 2003... Who, who were quite open because they knew who I was. They knew me from my writing. They know me from my, from the military uh, history I've gotten, my family and so forth. And these guys talked openly about their disdain for, to me privately, mm-hmm. talked openly about their disdain for, um, for Bush. All of them called uh, Rove, who was Bush's big, you know, continuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, General Rove, disdainfully, <laughs> and you know, uh, but they, but uh, you know, so you know, there's nothing new about generals and about colonels and so forth um, having a problem with what they're being told to do by by a president. What's new is here in this case, they're 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 shooting a a shot over Trump's bow and mm. saying, "You better watch out what kind of orders you give." Because I, I don't, I don't think that they're going to follow any un-American orders. Well, I find myself as amazed as you are <laughs> that at, at at what they did. I I have to say that you know a couple of weeks ago or three or a couple of months ago, I would I would have been a little bit concerned, not a great deal concerned, but a little bit concerned about what the military would choose to do. But uh, I don't. I'm not concerned at all anymore. Well, that's what you say at the uh, the last line of your piece, Lucian. You say uh, it, it gave me some comfort, and then you quickly ripped it away. You wrote, "I don't think we have anything to worry about uh, to worry about the military following illegal orders from Trump." And that made me feel better. And then you added, "At least for now, they're on our side." You had to toss in that "at least for now," didn't you, Lucian? Well, I mean, uh, you know, everything remains to be seen. I mean, I, you know, I'm bad at predictions anyway, <laughs> but the but I think that that all the indications are from the, from this extraordinary week that followed the unbelievably uh, stupid 
things that Trump uh, made them do and did last Monday, you know, has shown us that the military has really um, drawn a line between them and uh, and their commander in chief. I got two quick questions for you, Lucian uh, Trescott, that I want to ask. I'm, I'm coming down to the bottom of the hour here, so very quickly. Um, you have a, a unique historical perspective. You have been covering uh, events like all of the above here for uh, decades now. How does the current unrest that we're seeing and the protests, how does that compare, as you see it, to uh, previous periods of, of unrest uh, d- during the Civil Rights Movement and uh, during the Stonewall Movement, which you covered as well? Well, I think that the thing that's amazing about what's going on is it's going on a all across the country, all the way down to small towns. And the only time that I've ever saw that happen before was actually on one day, which was moratorium day back in 1969. And that was a day that there were protests all around the country against the war in Vietnam. They were all coordinated. They all happened basically at the same time. And then, But then moratorium day was over. This has been going on now for, what, 12 or 13 days? Mm-hmm. And it's going on everywhere. And and the and the people that are and the moratorium protests were largely young people and college kids and and they were also largely white, uh, and uh, and now you see on the street everybody, everybody white people, brown people, Asian people, young and old, uh, you know it, the the numbers of people and the and and the. The people that comprise the crowds Mm -hmm. are what are unique. And I guess the only other time that you saw that sort of stuff go on was during the Civil Rights Movement. But even then, it wasn't anything like this is now. That's good to know, too. Thank you for that. Uh, lastly, uh, Lucian, uh, Lucian K. Truscott IV, uh, which is maybe the uh, waspiest sounding name I have ever heard. So let me just note, there is a good reason for that. As I was looking into your background, you're actually the great, 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 great grandson of Thomas Jefferson. I'm correct about that? Yes, I am. All right. Now, you were on the Oprah Winfrey show, apparently, back in 1998, uh, discussing the issue of the Monticello Association, which are the uh, this is the descendants of Jefferson. Uh, and, and you actually invited descendants of Sally Hemings the, uh, to the family reunion in the year 2000. Now, Hemings, for people who don't know, she was the slave with whom uh, Jefferson had a long relationship after his wife died. It's believed they, uh, he fathered uh, six children with her, but the Hemings descendants had not been allowed to join the Monticello Association or to be buried in its graveyard or even come to the family family reunions, apparently. You, uh, in 1998, said, yeah, a uh, family of uh, descendants of Sally Hemings, come on to the reunions. Uh, has, has that changed since you invited them in 1998? No, we spent four years trying to convince the Monticello Association into allowing them into the family association and basically into the family because we are all descendants of Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Everybody, all serious historians accept that now. And so does Monticello itself, which is owned by the Thomas Jefferson uh, Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Monticello Association, which is this all-white, um, uh, largely Southern uh, association of, of Jefferson descendants, still is recalcitrant and won't uh, mm. and won't sort of admit them into the family. So, um, uh, you know, for four or five years, the Hemings and I went together to the annual reunion every mm-hmm. May and sort of banged on the door. 
and it, and and then once they had a vote, uh, they had a vote. I think it was in 2003, and voted the Hemings basically out of the family. Oh. The, the 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 numbers on that vote were um, 96 to five, hmm. and the five people uh, actually 96 to six. Five of the people that voted um, for the Hemings had the last name Truscott, me, my brother, and my sister. Mm. And then one other of our white cousins voted with us. And uh, and the rest of them voted against them. So um, I stopped going to the Monticello Association reunions, and, and so did the Hemings. So well, you... they had, the Hemings said now hold their own reunions at Monticello, and I go to those, and there's quite a large community called the uh, the uh, the Monticello community, which is which includes descendants of slaves that worked at Monticello, uh-huh. and of course the Hemings family and White Jefferson descendants, if they want to if they want to be a part of it. And I I have been. Well, you know what? Maybe we can uh, get something to change at the Monticello Association. Uh, maybe maybe now is a good time for the all. Jefferson's Matter movement to uh, kick off down there. Uh, Lucian K. Truscott IV, I got to get out. Uh, Thank you. You can find his work at Salon.com where he writes uh, his uh, regular column, his latest We Are Witnessing the Birth of a Movement and the Downfall of a President. You can also find him on the Twitters at Lucian K. Truscott and his Facebook page is the rabbit hole. Hop on over there and find out what's going on. Lucian, really appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast, sir. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. We'll take a quick break here and we will come back with, uh, with your calls. Did you march over the weekend uh, or last week? And if so, why? Why did you march? Uh, have you marched before? If so, did it feel different this time, as Lucien is uh, is suggesting? And by the way, were you concerned about COVID while you were out there marching? 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. And before we get to the break, by the way, our flagship station here in Los Angeles, KPFK, is uh, trying to have fewer fun drive days. Yay! Especially with everything going on right now, from the pandemic to the protest to Yes, arguably the most critical elections in our nation's history coming up on November 3rd. So when you call in at 818-985-5735, you're given the choice to come on the air or to leave a donation. So I think it's one to come on the air, two if you'd like to leave a donation for KPFK and Pacifica Radio. I hope you will consider doing so right now, even if you don't want to come on the air as it'll help keep our fun drive days to a minimum. It'll allow for more live broadcasts on uh, on this station. And if you happen to listen via another one of our excellent affiliates around the country, please consider supporting them as well, as we are all in this mess together right now, and non-corporatized, independent media outlets, I think, are more necessary than ever. And many are struggling to survive right now more than ever. So, yes... Give me a call at 818-985-5735, but also consider using that uh, same number to support KPFK in the bargain. And let them know, by the way, you're calling to support the broadcast at the same time. Quick break, and we are back with more. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. 
We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Yes, please do look what's going down Brad Friedman from the Bradcast. Welcome back to it. Glad you could join us. We're going to take your calls momentarily at 818-985-5735. Were you out at the uh, at the, at the marches this weekend? 818-985-KPFK. Why did you decide to go? I guess I could also toss in if you didn't go to a march, why did you not decide to go? Was there a specific reason? Um, did you learn anything while you were there? Even Mitt Romney went to a march this weekend. Yes, Republican U.S. Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, the guy who actually shows up in the dictionary if you look up the term white guy. There'll be a picture of Mitt Romney right there, I swear to God. I I can't make that up. Uh, Anyway, he was out marching in protest of the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis against police brutality and for the message that black lives matter really, with a bunch of um, Christian evangelicals who turned out over the weekend to protest in D.C. Hey, Senator, why is it important for you to be out here today? We need a voice against racism. We need many voices against racism and against brutality. We need to stand up and say that black lives matter. Good for him. Mitt Romney. Black lives matter. I agree. Uh, how about you? Did you march uh, this weekend or in the days prior? 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. How did it go? What did you learn there? What did you see? Did it make any difference in uh, how you feel about this country, about racism in this country, or the hope of someday overcoming it? Let's go to uh, uh, Alvaro, in, if I'm pronouncing that right, in East L.A. Hey, Alvaro, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Uh-oh. How are you? How are you, Mr. Friedman? I'm doing okay. How are, did you go out to a march this weekend, Alvaro? Yeah, I didn't go to the one this past weekend, the one uh, the weekend before last I went. Yeah, why'd you go? Okay, I, I went to the, the one that was circling Temple Street, the courts mm-hmm. from Temple to Grand to um, First Street, right, right around. Right. Why'd you go? I was in downtown LA. Um, I went for for the, the memory of Ruben Salazar for our stolen land to protest police brutality for people to read more mm-hmm. and make news instead of just look at news. Mm-hmm. And 
I brought my girlfriend. It was her first time going to a protest of that magnitude. Mm-hmm. And she was actually terrified of the police presence. Uh-huh. Um, she was expressing that she didn't really want to get out of the car. And my my uh, my family who brought me, who's a lot more versed in protest than even I am, they didn't really want to let us out of the car because it was such a police uh, presence. Mm-hmm. But in the process of us supporting supporting all the marchers and, and circling with them in the car, I was able to stop at least two cops from shooting protesters when they were lifting up their their rubber um, the rubber uh, bullet gun, and I was able to actually stop them and make them think about who they were going to shoot. And they were about to shoot journalists that were just filming them. Mm. Good for you. Did uh, that's what I was going to ask. Was there any uh, violence? Uh, you stopped some apparently. Was there any other violence that you saw uh, at that particular protest? Um, I didn't actually see them, but I heard that some people that didn't disperse fast enough toward the end of the evening because the curfew was in effect that night. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, I saw pictures of a journalist that got hit in her legs and, and she was in the middle of leaving the protest yeah. and she was hitting the back of her legs, according to the, the article on the social media. Yeah. There, um, there was a lot of violence but, and it came from the cops in almost every damn case that I saw out there. I mean, yes, there was uh, looting, there was fires, but a lot of that looting, we went into great detail last week uh, on one of our shows last week, uh, w- you know, w- was actually lit up by right wingers who were trying to uh, uh, bring all of this on. So, Alvaro, I appreciate your call. I appreciate you getting out there and marching. I appreciate uh, you dragging your girlfriend along with you. Hopefully it won't be her last one. Thanks for the call, Alvaro. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. Let me go to uh, Jonathan in Santa Monica. Hey, Jonathan. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi. Uh, I was at the march in Santa Monica on Sunday. It was very peaceful. Evidently, there was rioting going on at the same time, and the police largely ignored it. But my first march was in 1963, mm-hmm. uh, People's March on Washington. I was at Kent State. I was at every single anti-Vietnam moratorium, battle in Seattle, and numerous other protests. And I've seen violence, and I've seen um, uh, protesters uh, who were infiltrating the peaceful march, mm-hmm. start creating chaos. And they were they were not protesters. They were just anarchists that were there to start trouble. Uh, I was a peace uh, keeper for Bernie. Sanders in 2016 and was surrounded by these guys, and they ran off just before the police got there. And so how did? Uh, things, yeah, go ahead. A lot of things happen at these marches, but they're not uh, caused by uh, peace marchers. They're caused by outside infiltrators. Yeah, no, I know. And that's one of the reasons we've been covering what we have. And there has been uh, arrests of uh, a bunch of uh, right wingers uh, last week in uh, Nevada. Three guys who were filling up uh, gas cans in a parking lot, making up making Molotov cocktails, uh, who were with uh, some white nationalist group who were getting ready to go to one of the protests in uh, on the Las Vegas Strip and to try to cause trouble. So you're absolutely right. Uh, Very quickly, Jonathan, since you have been at so many of these marches going all the way back to 1963 and MLK and everything else. Uh, did this one feel different in any way, or is this uh, pretty much the same thing you've been at uh, decade after decade? Well, it depends on what the march is for. If it's civil rights or it's against the war, uh, global warming, uh, the battle in Seattle was over trade, mm-hmm. but there 
always going to be counter protesters. There's going to be uh, they the uh, Antifa shows up, but this is not an organization. These are people that are just against fascism, and they're trying to portray Antifa as a terrorist organization. It's not true. We're trained yep. to avoid violence. When you say we're, do you consider yourself part of the Antifa movement? I'm against fascism, but uh, the Antifa movement is, is just a word, really. Yeah. It's not organized. No, I know. Uh, we, and we spent some, we spent quite some time on. I think it was last Thursday's show, uh, disabusing all of the nonsense coming from Trump and Bill Barr, and then Senator uh, Tom Cotton of Arkansas in the New York Times talking about cadres of Antifa were coming out to cause trouble or something like that. And uh, it's just uh, complete a complete and utter nonsense. But b it was the right wingers, not the anti-fascist people. Uh, who were uh, seemed to be causing it, and so uh, yeah, it's it's somewhat ironic, yeah. I guess, that their movement is against people who are fighting fascism. Go figure. We're against the white supremacists. I was in the New American Movement, the Students for a Democratic Society, and we trained to uh, to stop that kind of violence. Mm-hmm. And we try to do it peacefully by talking people down, by separating the elements. There are all kinds of techniques to stop the chaos. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to do that. And we've been infiltrated by CIA, FBI people who have offered us, you know, weapons mm-hmm. and bomb making equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, John Dial is a police officer that infiltrated uh, the um, Puerto Rican Solidarity Committee and tried to get, get us to, you know, commit violent acts. He was a policeman that was based in West Los Angeles. Mm. Yep. Thank you for not falling for it. Uh, and thanks for your call, Jonathan. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you uh, getting out and marching, too, uh, for all of these decades. Uh, you deserve a rest at some point. Maybe we'll have something. Maybe we'll have a day we won't have to be out there marching. Uh, let me take one more call before I get to a break here, uh, and then we'll come back with more of your calls. 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. Let's go to Randy in Chicago. Hey, Randy, did you go out? Uh, did you uh, march this weekend? Hey there, Brad. Thank you so much for your service here. Um, I was one of those that wanted to go out in March, Mm -hmm. but actually I have a prior police record and I did not want to take the risk of getting picked up. So Mm. that's one way of squelching our freedom of speech. And my absolute kudos to your last caller there. I will gently remind you the Kent State shooter. Yeah. Um, back then was ex-military, and when you look at the number of percentage of school shootings across the country, it's an alarmingly high rate of ex-military and ex-policemen that mm. are the ones that are pulling the trigger. Yep. Um, what I want to say about the, I mean, I've been keeping a close look on it within my little cubicle here. Um, what I want to say is right now the system is broken, and I'm speaking out specifically from the documentary LA-92 which was right there in L.A., the Rodney King beatings. Mm -hmm. Um, The initial trial there, after the the beating took place, was those officers were acquitted. And the footage from the Rodney uh, King footage was much worse than the Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Um, At this point, there are, and I I speak from experience, there are no ramifications 
to a police officer, it puts in a stay and a report with falsified evidence in it. Um, they get if it gets tossed out, there's no ramifications for them writing up and lying or telling the wrong truth. Yeah. The other thing is, if the evidence has been falsified and it does go to trial, the district attorney does not get any ramifications for that. If we really have truth and liberty and justice for all, I would want to see anybody that presents false evidence loses their shield. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's happening here in Minnesota is that um, they're talking about defunding the police department. Right. And if we do that, that is a legal move, just like the big corporate America, whereas you can run a small company into bankruptcy and then dissolve it and move it into another corporation to prevent paying off any of the bills on it. So you're against Um, the idea because the city council over the weekend voted unanimously, essentially, to dissolve the Minneapolis police, uh, police department. You're against that idea. You think that's just a, a, a scam, essentially? It's a legal move. Uh-huh. It's a legal move. And they re- if the Minneapolis Police Department no longer exists, then there'd be no way of opening up all the past cases over the past 20 years mm. where the Minneapolis Police Department has been wrong and mm. guilty. Okay. So that's one way to sweep it under the carpet. And, and perhaps and, that's you know, why as the... As far as the Rodney King video I talked about, yeah. I need everybody in L.A. to look at that not only see how eloquent Clarence Thomas was under the heat of it all, and I think Clarence Thomas would have been a great president. His Cla- wife would have been an amazing first lady. Clarence Thomas would have been a great video. president? I He could have been. Clarence Thomas could have been, I think so, yes. Um, and again, this is just my personal opinion. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to take your show. You you are no, no. from a perspective where you want to include the entire country. Yeah, and I could be like one one percent of a thousand. So thank you very much for giving me a voice. No, no, no um, problem. You're the champion here. Well, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, that's a it takes a strange turn, uh, especially since uh, Clarence Thomas, whatever you may think of him, uh, he and his wife. Uh, did some pretty bad things uh, when it comes to the uh, the money that they were able to get, and uh, uh, that uh, after a ruling by Clarence Thomas regarding Citizens United, which, by the way, Citizens United, if it weren't for that group, Citizens United, Clarence Thomas wouldn't be sitting on the Supreme Court because Citizens United themselves spent millions and millions of dollars to put propaganda out on the airwaves. Uh, to get uh, Clarence Thomas uh, his seat that he then later decided that, uh, oh, corporations can give as much money as they want. And guess what? A whole bunch of corporations gave a whole bunch of money to Clarence Thomas's wife. You can look it up at bradblog.com. Quick break, and we're back with uh, more calls. We will uh, see how Roger in Minneapolis, oh, good, he's back, uh, see how he feels about uh, dissolving the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, Gigi in Pasadena and others will try to get to as many as we can. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At The Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. And I rise up, I rise like the day, I rise up, I rise unafraid, I rise up, I rise 
Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com doing our best to rise up five days a week for you here on the Bradcast as best we can in these difficult times. Taking your calls uh, on the marches over the weekend, uh, particularly those of you who went. I'm wondering why you went and, uh, of course, uh, from some of you, why you didn't. Let me go to, uh, well, we got to get to him, uh, Roger in Minneapolis. Uh, very quickly, sir, good to hear from you, as always. Uh, very quickly, uh, you heard that last call about doing away with the Minneapolis Police Department. What is your thought on that, since you're in Minneapolis? Well, Brad, um, I'm old enough to have participated uh, in even Vietnam War protests. Mm-hmm. We had a rather nest in 1970. And at that time, the Minneapolis Police Department's violent culture was well-established. And I understand the um, drive to attempt to uproot um, the problem that is ingrained in our police department, root and branch. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do think that that's centrally what is afoot here. I don't think that there's an ulterior motive of dodging potential uh, legal responsibility in this case. I do, though, two, two more things to add, and then I'll do. I um, find the, the kind of military tactics with which peaceful protests are met to be unfortunately well beyond my capability to tolerate and, and simply... I am intimidated enough by those tactics to feel the need to refrain from participating in protests in this day and age. I completely... Uh, and, uh, yeah. A quick. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say a uh, quick. Actually, Roger, let me let me let leave it with that point uh, because we got a couple of other calls and I've got very little time on the clock here. Uh, but I hear you. I understand why people would not want to turn out. I am glad to see uh, when people did. When people said, you know what? Despite everything, despite the uh, coronavirus, despite the threat of police violence. I am not going to be cowed. I certainly understand that. Roger, I got let me run here. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate the call. Let me get to Gigi very quickly. Uh, we'll try to get through as many as we can. Hey, Gigi, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Can you hear me, darling? I can, darling. Did you uh, march this weekend? I am going to make it real fast. Number one, I'm not out there because I'm 72 and a half now, but the main thing I called about was this. I have a pet peeve with everyone uh, saying, and all your guests are right on target, but please stop saying the system is broken because it it implies that the system worked at some point in time. The system is not broken. The system is working exactly the way it was designed to work regarding the police and many other things in America. And I liken it, I'm going to get off the phone real quick, I liken it to a two-seat Volkswagen bug, and now there are 10 people trying to ride in the car, and they keep saying, it's broken. We have to fix it. So they keep trying to add seats on top of the Volkswagen roof and so forth. So and people keep falling off. And no, it's not broken. You only designed it for two people. You have to. We have to scrap it and go to a completely new design, a completely new system. Thanks. Love you much. Take care. Thank you. Love you, Gigi, and uh, love it. We need. We do. We need a brand new Volkswagen. Hopefully, an electric one. Do we have time for Rudolph? Let's get to Rudolph and Ventura. Hey, Rudolph, welcome to the broadcast. Very quickly, sir. Hey, how you doing? Real quickly, I'm originally from L.A. I'm 80 years old. I remember the Zoot Suit riots and the Marines and sailors and the cops getting together to beat up the Mexicans on Seventh and Broadway. 
they all got together to beat up the bus. That's a funny one. But anyway. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Toys. No more funding for rubber bullets. No more. Get rid of their toys. There are a bunch of kids out there with guns. Just stop the funding. You have to get rid of the cops. There you go. And Thank then, you. Yeah. And, and then, wait, real fast. Then tell these dummies like Newsom and all those people to stop this adversarial type of government. Everything is punitive here. I just got back from living in Europe for five years. And the system isn't punitive over there. You know, they get, they, they stopped me in Spain for a traffic violation, and, and they just, the guy just gave me a, a, a written citation, a courtesy thing. There's no, there's no punitive or adversarial over there. Thank you, Rudolph. I appreciate that call. Uh, stay safe out there, 80 years old. Do we have one time? We, yeah, we always have time for Morris, don't we? Yeah. Morris in Long Beach. Yo, Mo, what's up, brother? Brother Brad Freeman had a show today, and everybody wondered what he's going to say. Well, Mama told Daddy, don't you be no square. You go ahead and call him, let me hear what he's saying. Let's... <laughs> What's up, Brad? Uh, thank you, Morris. I appreciate the song. Who knew we were going to end musically? Do we have time? We'll give it. Okay, yes, everybody's saying we have time for one more. Jordan in L.A., welcome to the broadcast. Very quickly, Jordan. Hey, Brad, just want to let you know that this system was designed. I was over there in Iraq and Afghanistan, and we're there for the corporate society to increase their resources. They proved it in America, the men who built us, where they showed how J.P. Morgan and Carnegie and all them bought presidency and bought this country. Are we going to change it with these protests once and for all, finally, Jordan? No answer from Jordan. Oh, well. Uh, thank you for the call, Jordan. Thanks for everyone who called in. For those who couldn't get through, uh, I appreciate you trying. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Kiana Williams, and, of course, to my guest today, Salon.com's Lucian K. Prescott the fourth. Uh, and to all of you for spending a, a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. We'll see you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.